0: The Word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, and the joints from the marrow, and is a critic of all thoughts and intents of the heart. All Scripture is God-breathed, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God might be mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing... The Word of Truth. Once again, open the Word of Truth to John chapter 11, where we are running through this uh, wonderful passage and examining the reality of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ through the lens of Him performing a, a similar miracle. Uh, minus, of course, the substitutionary spiritual death, the atonement that he paid on our behalf, where he performed this miracle as a picture, as a symbol of what was to come to him. That resurrection, by the way, of our Lord Jesus Christ predicts what is to come to us as believers. So let's pick up in uh, John chapter 11 and verse 14, which says, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Skip down to verse 17. It says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. In this service, we're going to examine two responses to the resurrection, or rather the coming resurrection of Lazarus. And we can apply these as parallels to the response to the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is the reaction of Martha and the reaction of Mary. First, Martha. Verse 21 says, she says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She didn't wait for him to uh, come and and greet her. She didn't uh, obey the customs of that day, which is when you were the loved one of someone who had died uh, in Jewish custom. It's called sitting shiva. Uh, According to Jewish custom, you're not really to get up and move around much at all. You're supposed to be sitting and people come to you to express your condolences. If you know any Orthodox Jews... Uh, If you have been to an Orthodox Jewish funeral, you will see this play out. Uh, It isn't like a wake today. You go and they're sitting in the front row and they won't get up to give you a hug. You bend down to give them a hug and comfort them uh, in their loss. Martha says no, she's taking matters into her own hands. She gets up off her couch. She goes out the door. She goes into the entrance of the city. She goes a long walk down uh, and confronts the Lord Jesus, confronts him. Knowing that he was fully God and fully man, she knew that he could perform a miracle and heal him. Just as uh, before this, prior to this in John's narrative, Jesus had been described as performing that miracle time and time again. He healed people of their leprosy. He gave them the ability to walk again supernaturally. He restored sight to blind men. They were Not able to see a thing, and then in an instant they were able to see, you know, with twenty-twenty perfect vision. So she responds with a truth, but in the wrong way. I know that God will give you whatever you ask, but if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had performed a miracle according to my timing, according to my plan, according to my prerogative, my brother would not have died. But instead, look where we are. He's been dead for four days. And now you arrive. Word must have reached Martha that Jesus knew that uh, Lazarus was sick, right? Because in verse uh, 3, it says, The sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So word had no doubt reached back to Martha and Mary. Jesus heard your predicament Uh, And he will respond in writing in two to three business days. Uh, It's a completely abnormal response. You can await my reply uh, via, you know, certified mail within X number of of business days. It doesn't make any sense. They were not a very long, uh, very large distance apart from each other. Of course, there weren't automobiles, but they were not a two-day journey. They were close by, relatively speaking. Jesus, of course, stayed two more days, and now he's about to demonstrate why that was the case. The reason he waited is because he had to wait so that Lazarus would be dead, so that he could perform the greatest of all miracles in reference to his upcoming death and resurrection three days later. So a few things to note in the reaction of Martha. First, she's hasty. She is hasty of hasty. She gets up, she goes out the door, she goes down the street, she runs and approaches the Lord, confronts him directly. Second, she rushes to judgment. She immediately says, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She assumes that the Lord was going to heal him, even though she was not sure that that was his prerogative to do so. Jesus didn't heal every single person he encountered. Jesus did not eliminate death from first century uh, Israel altogether to prove that he's God. He did miracles sparingly to demonstrate who he was, like I said, in the first service this morning. But he did not just blanket eliminate death and eliminate despair and eliminate disease. And we're going to see the Lord's human reaction to this phenomenon in a few moments. So she's hasty, she rushes to judgment, and third, she is being ruled by her emotions. She is experiencing emotionalism at its peak. Now this is understandable to some extent, because she's just lost her brother. She is in deep, deep grief. But one of the principles you must understand as you experience grief and loss and hardship is you have two choices to make when that is, is happening. As a believer, you have two choices to make. You can either be ruled by your grief, or you can control your grief and direct it to a spiritually healthy place. With man, that sounds impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So you can either rule your grief or be ruled by your grief. And this is made possible by the spiritual life where you apply promises that God has made to your circumstances and therefore control your grief. This isn't to say that you eliminate your grief. You don't eliminate feelings of hardship. You don't uh, just totally cast those aside. Grief is still very real and very significant. And it works its way, and depending on your personality and sort of your proclivities and your 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 personhood, according to who you are as a person, that grief expresses itself in vastly different ways. Some people dive into their work, some people can barely get up in the morning, some people eat way too much, some people eat nothing for days and weeks on end. People respond to circumstances very differently. But there's two choices, broadly speaking, that you need to make when you are in grief. And the disciples, when Jesus died, were in grief. They were being ruled by their grief. They responded like Martha responded. The, the word I use to describe Martha can be applied to Peter even before Jesus died. He was hasty. He was very quick to fear for his life. So what did he do? He denied the Lord three times before the rooster crowed in the morning. And none of his disciples were there, standing at the base of the cross. They scattered. They scattered. They were like vapor. They vanished into thin air because they were afraid. Because they were governed by their fear. Because they were emotional and ruled by their emotions. Instead, what they should have done is take advantage of the lessons of John 11 and apply them to the Lord's coming physical and spiritual demise. When he was judged for all of our sins and when he departed this life, when he died and was buried. They should have expected it, but instead they let their emotions rule. Their grief took over into overdrive, and they found themselves uh, where they found themselves. So we have the response of Mary. And she you know, is, is in the vicious downward spiral of emotionalism, where she has an emotional reaction, and then that is just... It's increased and increased and increased, and down and down the spiral she goes. The way out of that spiral is changing her thinking. And we'll see the Lord teach her here just in a a moment. And she can do one of two things, and this is true for all of us. When you're in negative circumstances, the way out is to change your thinking through teaching, through teaching of the Word of God. And you have two choices to make when you hear that teaching. You can either say no to it, down the spiral you continue to go, or you can say yes and you can interrupt that downward vicious cycle of emotionalism into mental attitude sins, into overt sins, into sins of the tongue, into whatever the the capacity might be. But we're going to see the Lord instruct her, and we're going to see her end up in a positive place at the end of this story. So Jesus said to her, after she accused him, she went out of, her, uh, out of her house, down the road, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know, I intellectually assent, she's still in emotionalism, but I intellectually assent to the idea that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She says yes to this instruction, she accepts it, she embodies it, she you know uh, inculcates it, but she's still misguided in her thinking. She says, "I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day." She says, "I know you've been teaching Jesus. I know you've been teaching about resurrection and that at the last day we will all be raised together." Uh, so I know that, you know, I will see him again, and I know the all the sort of trite cliches that we hear about death today, and he's watching over me, and he, you know, is with me when I wake up, and he's with me when I go to sleep, and, you know, uh, th- this can at times be a comfort to people, but I fear too often it's a distraction to where people are looking for a certain animal to come visit them. And if that animal which embodies this person visits them, then they're having a great day. And if it doesn't visit, uh, then they're not having a good day at all. and They're praying to see, you know, the red cardinal or the beautiful duck or whatever it is. The reality of it is that is not the person that you're looking for. It's a fine thing to to wish for. It's a fine thing to be reminded and have that you know fuel the fragrance of memory, but don't go saying uh, that that is your mother or father who's passed away. It's not the case. And you'll hear this constantly and it's not your place to correct it from other people that do that. It's your place to uh be uh, exercise in personal love and just have your understanding be the correct understanding in terms of this, but she's misguided in, in, in her thinking. She's, she's along those lines, right? I know Lazarus is with me. I know I'll see him again. I know we'll be united together at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about the last day. I'm talking about, Jesus is talking about himself, And he begins in verse 25 to say perhaps the most dramatic of John's seven recorded I am statements of Christ. The perhaps most well-known, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Here we have uh, another one. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is the question that we all must ask ourselves, that you must ask yourself. Do you believe this, knowing that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in him will live even though they die? And whoever lives by believing in him will never die. That is the accurate response to the resurrection, is believing that he ultimately embodies resurrection. Mary responds correctly to this. So she interrupted the cycle. She received teaching. She changed her thinking. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, keep moving, we're going to see the response of Mary now. She called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. Now when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met with him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. It's the same statement, but notice the different approach. Whereas Martha was hasty, Mary utilized faith perception and exercised humility, waiting for the Lord, her Savior, to call her to his presence. Whereas Mary rushed to judgment, or rather, whereas Martha rushed to judgment, Mary exercised both grace and authority orientation, and were oriented to the reality that Jesus was going to instruct her, and his will was what was to be accomplished in that scenario, as in all scenarios, as in their whole life. So in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the entire Bible, two words, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. This is yet another example of the Lord's supernatural ability through his humanity to relate to us in all of our circumstances, in our temptations, good, bad, and otherwise. He is with us. And even though he knew what he was about to do, he wept because in that moment, his friend was dead. His friend was not here. And he was truly sad about that. So he, the Lord Jesus Christ, perfectly embodies grief. There's this sense that in order to be strong when we are grieving after loss, we need to not show any emotion. We need to be stiff as boards. And we need to just soldier on and grin and bear it and get through it. No, we need to follow the Lord's example. When he lost the one closest, one of the closest people to him, he wept. He relates to us. And he responded to that on the basis of Mary's reaction, not Martha's. Martha is the person who loses a brother, a child, a loved one, a parent, a grandparent. Martha's the person who shakes her fist and turns her head to the skies and asks, Why, God, would you do this to me? marries the person who weeps, but weeps quietly and inwardly in the sense that she is understanding God's will be done in this situation. And I understand the resurrection that is to come. And I believe that the Lord is teaching me and guiding me closer to himself through my suffering. Remember, that is the doctrine of resurrection. That is being united with Christ. That is suffering for blessing, which is our example that we live towards in this day and age as a response to uh, the resurrection, not only of Lazarus, but also of our Lord. So Jesus wept, the shortest verse of the Bible. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some said... Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So Jesus, in verse 38, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Roll away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, here's Martha coming in again. By this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Martha's rushing to judgment once again. Martha's not able to understand what the Lord is teaching. She's saying, I don't want to smell uh, a decomposing body. Which, if you know anything about bodily decomposition, which I don't claim to know much, but I am told that this is accurate. That if it was a warm time, four days in, in a sealed tomb, you would not like that aroma. Then Jesus said... Did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God?
1: So they took away the stone.
0: Then Jesus looked up and said, "Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you uh, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me." There Jesus Christ describes his purpose in performing all miracles. I did this for the purpose of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. I waited the two extra days. I didn't go right to Lazarus's side and heal him, because I wanted to prove that not only am I the God who can cure physical afflictions, I can overcome death itself. This is, of course, the Lord, the Lord speaking. 43. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, "Take off the grave clothes and let him go." This is the most powerful of all of the miracles. Jesus here showed that he can overcome death itself. Death is the result of sin. Death did not originate with the creation of the world. Death originated not in Genesis 1, but in Genesis 3, when mankind fell as a result of negative volition. Then, and then alone, death was introduced. Spiritual death first, physical death to Adam and Eve, and all subsequent generations next. Jesus here is proving that not only can he overcome death, He can overcome sin itself. All of this chapter points toward his upcoming, at that point, death and resurrection. That is what he intends for us to understand as we read back from our vantage point, looking back through human history. That's what he wants us to understand about himself when we read about Lazarus. The most dramatic of all of the miracles. In fact, if you read on towards the end of this chapter, you'll find that this was, proverbially speaking, the straw that broke the camel's back in the minds of the Jewish rulers. We cannot let this man continue to do what he's doing. If he can overcome death... He is a danger to the proverbial status quo, to the power status quo, to our authority as spiritual leaders in this group of people. We must kill him. They thought they were squashing out these little embers of rebellion to their spiritual authority, but in reality, they were accomplishing God's plan. And God's plan cannot be stopped. So Jesus, in performing this miracle elicited those two reactions from Martha and Mary. On the one part, hasty, rushing to judgment, and in emotionalism, being ruled by her grief. But Mary, getting to the same point, was filled with faith perception, grace orientation, authority orientation, teachability, and humility. So the question, as you think towards your life and your circumstances, that you should ask yourselves, is how do I react to circumstances which produces suffering. How do I react to suffering on my part? Am I more like Martha, or more like Mary? Because if Mary Magdalene, the prostitute, can be the, the one who's in the right here, so too can all of us respond correctly to suffering and negative circumstances at all points of our lives. And that is the response to resurrection. Is to understand the doctrine of suffering for blessing. To understand what the Lord has for us in his plan. And to accomplish it. Not being ruled by our emotions, but ruling over our emotions. Knowing that we are guided, not by good teachings and aphorisms and the self-help industry, but by the very word of God itself. That is the opportunity that you are afforded this Resurrection Sunday. And the question that the Lord asks of the people gathered there, the question that the Lord asks Martha reverberates through 2,000 years of history and on to the end of time itself. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? His next question in verse 40 Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So, the question you are to ask yourselves as you navigate your plan, uh, as you navigate your life in the plan of God, is Do you believe this? And if you believe, do you understand that you will see the glory of God? Not the way you want it seen, not the way you want it demonstrated in your life always, but the way that God intends, producing the maximum amount of glory for himself and his son. Remember, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God so that the son of God might be glorified through it. So to that, I say to each of you, happy Easter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the resurrection of your Son. We thank you that that accomplished victory. He experienced the victory on the cross. On the cross, he accomplished the strategic victory over Satan and the angelic conflict. But on Resurrection Sunday, the holiday that's greater than all other holidays that we commemorate this Sunday, and we commemorate in our souls every day of our lives as believers, we understand that... The suffering that you experienced, that your son experienced on the cross, and that you experienced inflicting that suffering on him had a purpose, and that purpose was visualized and embodied in his resurrected self, his bodily resurrection, where he went from dead to alive, just as he performed that same miracle to Lazarus. And he did it so that all of us, including those of us here in 2023 in the United States of America, would understand correctly, and believe appropriately, so that you might be glorified. And now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand faultless in his presence, blameless with great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power before all time and forever. Amen.